Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. I'm your host, Bossed Up's founder and CEO, Emily Aries, and I am so excited to chat with y'all. And I just want to say to everybody who called in, weighed in, tweeted in, Instagram DM'd in last week for our five-year anniversary, thank you so much. These past five years of having launched Bossed Up at our first ever Bossed Up Bootcamp in July of 2013 has just been a wild and amazing ride. And it's been an honor, not only to be a part of helping other women boss up, but just to bear witness to so many other women who, like me, have gone from burnt out and feeling out of control of our destinies to owning that shit, like the bosses that we are. It's been magical almost. It's been it's been transformative and It's just been an honor to be a part of a community full of women who are really showing the world what it looks like to get out of this martyrdom mindset, to show that we can do well and do good, to show that we can take self-care seriously and not sacrifice our ambitions along the way. So thank you for being a part of this movement, for being a part of this community. I just feel so inspired by each and every one of you every day. So please keep weighing in and please keep this conversation going because I just feel now more than ever, we have to show the world that even when stuff is dark and politics are not great and it feels like the world can be a dark and scary place sometimes that taking care of yourself, especially as a woman, is still a radical act today and it doesn't inhibit us from taking care of others. In fact, quite the opposite. We take better care of our loved ones and our careers and helping others when we have taken the time, energy, and effort and put it towards ourselves as well. So on that note, today's episode is really about that challenge of doing well while doing good, right? Doing good work, but getting paid well to do it. And this is especially challenging when you're crafting a career with purpose and and pursuing your passions, especially in the nonprofit sector, where a lot of people get a sense of personal fulfillment, but don't always get paid properly. Today's conversation was inspired originally by a great career conundrum that came in all about paying your interns. Take a listen right after a word from our sponsor. Do you work in the nonprofit sector, but want to run your organization more like a business? Well, Social Impact 360 is offering a new course specifically for nonprofit professionals to affordably apply business skills and methodologies to their daily work. You'll become more efficient, effective, and focused on continuous improvement in the services you provide. Save $50 off your registration with code BOSSEDUP at checkout at socialimpact360.org slash class. Hi, Emily. This is Jen. 
I work in the nonprofit theater world, and my career syndrome is that I love my job. It's kind of a dream job, but the company that I work at has a history of overworking and underpaying their interns. How do I become an advocate for them, or is there anything that I can really do for them without stepping on the toes of the people that run the program? Jen, way to call in with this question. I love it because it's a great example of how bossing up and being the kind of person who can own her voice and advocate for herself also has this wonderful trickle-down effect whereby it now makes you equipped to not just want to, but also be able to advocate on behalf of others. Same skill, just applied towards yourself versus someone else. So in order to break this question down, I'm so excited for today's interview because it's with someone who knows how hard it can be to run a nonprofit and still have money left over to pay your interns. And she knows a whole lot about running businesses. And we are actually going to talk about the hybrid area, the gray area between those two choices of nonprofit work versus for-profit work. And we also get into beyond getting paid as an intern, how to get paid as a nonprofit professional, period. So I'm really excited to dig into this conversation with Allison Alt. She's the executive director at Social Impact 360, an organization you've already heard me talk about because all month they've been sponsoring the Bossed Up podcast, for which we are super grateful because they've got that awesome new class for nonprofit professionals. And to be totally clear, the partnership that we've established for this month means you get a discount when signing up for that class. And Bossed Up gets a commission every time you sign up for it as well. It's an affiliate agreement. And this is a deal. This is a class. This is an organization that I have loved for the six years that it's existed. And we've worked together on things in the past. And I've worked side by side with Allison a little bit. And I stand by just how amazing everything that Social Impact 360 does really is. So I would be endorsing and standing by their training programs, even if we weren't getting a commission off of it. So let's dive into today's conversation with Allison Alt by first giving you a little bit of background on what a boss she really is. Allison's been a public service professional and attorney for over 10 years, and she's worked across sectors to focus on creating social impact, primarily on behalf of low income and vulnerable population. She's a training expert, which is part of the reason I love her, because trainings are my jam and my business and my bread and butter. And she really focuses on training up the next generation of socially conscious business leaders and she started the first youth-led movement for Business for Good, which she'll tell you a little bit more about in today's interview. She's all about civic engagement and service and finding a way to integrate those practices into for-profit business operations and sort of merging those two worlds. So she's the perfect person to sit down with and dive into this conversation today. Allison, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Emily. Excited to be here also. So we've got a sticky question today, and <laughs> it's what I'm really excited to break down because there's so many different, very strong opinions when it comes to unpaid internships and really navigating the world of internships altogether. So let's start by addressing today's listener-submitted career conundrum, which is if you work at a place that doesn't pay their interns or underpays and overworks their interns, 
how can we deal with navigating advocacy on not only on behalf of ourselves, but on behalf of our fellow mm-hmm. colleagues? Do you want to sort of give right. us your first take on that question? Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that we, particularly in the nonprofit sector, we're always dealing with, um, certainly, is how do we pay people appropriately, particularly interns. And I know, you know, I used to work for an organization where we actually placed young people on internships. So this was a constant conversation about how do we pay them? What's appropriate uh, for that time? And even thinking about my first job in DC, right, I came up here, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed, wanted to work in public service and got to my first internship. And they said, hey, you know, uh, it'd be great if you could do an internship for a year unpaid in DC. And I went, yeah, it would be great if I could do an unpaid internship in DC for a year. I said, but you know, how will, you know, how will I eat? Um, so I, I think this is a question certainly, you know, as I said, we're all dealing with and I have many thoughts on it. Yeah. And, you know, we focused this month on the podcast on crafting a career with impact, really focusing on the nonprofit and for purpose sector, the public sector included. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that this is a common challenge. How do we make doing well and doing good work together? So give us a little bit of background on on your take on this issue and tell us more about how Social Impact 360 is working to make those two things possible. Thanks. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like this is one of my uh, career purposes is really to, to figure this uh, experiment out, right? So at Social Impact 360, we actually are working towards exactly what you were saying, which is to make sure that people can both do well and do good. And so what we're doing across the country is we are actually training young people and how to build businesses that solve social issues. And also we are connecting our thousand alumni that are young CEOs. And these are innovators and top companies who, you know, are moving up in the ranks, if you will, to really think about, you know, how do we combine those things and placing them actually on social impact projects in the business sector so that, you know, the future of business and social impact work is really changed and that we can really live that, you know, do well um, and do good mantra. Uh, But I think it's extremely important. The internship piece is, is a really interesting question because I think there are a number of ways to advocate for it, right? If the organization has resources, you know, certainly you can think about things like educational stipends, right? You can think about college credit. So there are, you know, ways around that. I think you can certainly organize your colleagues in advocating as a group, you know, that this is an important issue for your staff and you'd like to see interns be paid appropriately. And as such, you know, what can we do as an organization to either budget that ahead of time or, you know, as uh, if we really feel strongly enough as a staff, right, to create some sort of pot of money towards that. So I think there's a lot you can do in advocacy, but it really starts with, do you have those resources available? You know, as a nonprofit executive, that's the big issue for me is, is making sure that the nonprofit sector, you know, has the resources available to do the great work that they are doing. I love that advice you have for our caller, which is don't go it alone on this, <laughs> right? No, like create don't go it alone. consensus, create buy-in. And just using the word we is so helpful here, saying this is something that right. I want our values to reflect, that we value this kind of effort and energy and support. And, right. you know, how can we find a solution? I advise that when it comes to advocating for yourself in terms of pay and benefits and negotiation situations and 
definitely when it comes to advocating for other changes on your team, especially when it comes to allocating resources. So what about nonprofits that just don't have the resources there? Right. Um, I think that's a real problem that we really need to have a conversation about in the nonprofit sector, which I'm definitely having that conversation now with a lot of folks. And that is that I think, you know, we have a sort of a history of, of looking at nonprofit work and saying, but, you know, we talk about it. It's charity, right? It's volunteer. Right. But there are a tremendous amount of individuals working in the sector who by no means is their work volunteer, right? Right. And we really need to do a lot of work to think about how we are perceiving nonprofit work and how we are talking about it to make sure that we are associating what we do with the value that we provide. I mean, we're providing extremely important services to people who need it. You know, we had that conversation as a nonprofit staff so many times, which was, you know, do we even charge groups to come and volunteer, right? Does that create a different perception of the value of the work that we are doing? And as I mentioned, in social impact work, I am constantly thinking about how do we change that perception? Well, I love where the social impact sector is coming in to kind of form this hybrid. And for those who aren't familiar, Mm -hmm. can you explain just what does social impact work really mean? What is that sector all about? So so social impact is really looking at how do we create a third entity, if you will, right? It's not nonprofit, it's not business, but it takes the best elements of both, right? It does phenomenal work, but it is socially sustainable financially. So for instance, that's part of the reason why at Social Impact 360, we are training young people in how to build businesses that solve social issues. So how do you create revenue streams and how do you financially think about your model for nonprofit type work in a very sustainable way? I really think that it's important for the survival of our sector and for moving us forward. Yeah, of course, I'm very biased towards that kind of work because I <laughs> remember wrestling with it myself when I started Bossed Up five years ago. A lot of folks assumed I would start it as a nonprofit because it solves a social problem. It helps women in a world that's pretty biased against women to advocate right. for what they need to be sustainable. But how ironic would it have been had I started a business model that wasn't sustainable in and of itself. So I really committed myself early on to saying, you know, I love nonprofits, but I'm starting a business. And I had to correct quite a few well-intentioned men who would describe my business as a nonprofit. And I said, no, we solve a social problem. Mm -hmm. We have a mission that's focused on doing good work and, and solving this problem. But We also have a sustainable financial model, which takes years to figure out, quite frankly. But I also encourage so many women, I think, are are sort of pushed into that sector for helping others and doing good work and being charitable in our energies. And some of us resist econ like I did. I totally resisted econ classes. And had I realized that business can be a tool for good, that economics and economic models can also further social impact, I might have been more inclined to not run away from the business classes and in college. And I really encourage folks to push back on the stereotype that all business is profit first only because it's not. 
Right. And I think that is, you know, particularly with the next generation, right, we're seeing tremendously is that they're saying, I don't understand why I need to make a choice, right? Why do I have to choose to go into the for-profit sector and feel like I can't do, you know, meaningful and purposeful work? And why do I have to go into the for, you know, the nonprofit sector and feel like I can't be paid what I feel is appropriate? And, And so we're certainly thinking about, you know, as a sector, how do we solve that? And it, it, it really it. is extremely important. Now, when it comes to getting paid to do good work, right, getting paid to do work that has a social cause behind it, I hear from a lot of women in terms of my negotiation conversations that mm-hmm. negotiating while nonprofit is especially tricky, especially hard. And this this conversation, this challenge that our listener has seems to fall in line with that. I mean, I actually just gave a, a mini episode to our listeners a couple weeks ago on negotiating while nonprofit. But I'd be curious to hear wow. for those of us who are in the nonprofit sector already and are feeling quite underpaid ourselves, what advice would you have for them for not just advocating for the interns, but advocating for themselves? Sure. I, a lot of advice, actually. I think, you know, really important to understand, you know, what budget your nonprofit is working with, right, before you go into that negotiation, in my opinion, because then you can position yourself appropriately. I've been in some really interesting conversations with, you know, even managers in larger nonprofits. And had I known, you know, what that budget was working with, I could have come up with a range that I feel would be, you know, appropriate, pushing the bounds enough, but not too much, right, to almost be insulting, if you well. It's important to know that. How do you figure that out? How (laughs) do you find that information? (laughs) Yeah, well, all nonprofits have to publish their 990s. Um, So you actually can find out quite a bit of information about, you know, what the financial situation of a a nonprofit looks like. Um, But I think also good to, of course, you know, I'm sure you give this advice, but ask folks who work there. Yeah. uh, You know, really get the inside scoop. Certainly. Great. I want to look into those 990s, though. So they have to have them published on their own websites. Is that correct? Like publicly available financial records? So not necessarily on their own websites, but yes, they 990s are public. I mean, that's filed with their taxes. So you definitely okay. are able to see what, you know, uh, nonprofits are, are working with. <laughs> um, and that's almost a benefit compared to negotiating in other sectors. I recall, right. you know, it's not easy to find, but if you can really track down the right federal websites. I recall when I was working <laughs> for a political committee, you know, we all right. looked up each other's salaries and lo and behold, my fellow state directors in the Northeast were at this like conference and they all realized that I'm getting paid more than any of them. And I was the youngest right. state director at the time and everyone got a little pissed off about that. I found it a little bit amusing myself, but you know, the information is out there. It can be a benefit to you when going into negotiate. Right. If you do your due diligence, do your homework, find out where those federal reporting mechanisms are because that information is out there. Yeah, no, it's it's really important. And certainly, you know, folks who are already working there know quite a bit about what that landscape looks like. So that can always be helpful, too. Definitely. I want to come back to the internship question for you for a moment, mm-hmm. uh, especially given your legal background. I thought you would find this interesting. Under <laughs> federal law, there are six criteria that must be met in order for an unpaid internship to be legal. Have you heard of this before? Right. Yes, yes, certainly. Yeah, as someone myself who has had unpaid interns at Bossed Up in the past, which I'd like to explain further in a moment, I find it interesting that 
you know, when these six criteria are met, it's not illegal or, in my opinion, amoral to have interns that aren't getting paid in the traditional Mm -hmm. sense of the word. One, the internship, even though it includes an actual operation of the facilities, is similar to training that would be given in an educational environment. Number two, the experience is for the benefit of the intern. Number three, the Mm -hmm. intern doesn't displace regular employees, but works closely under their supervision. Number four, the employer providing the training derives no immediate advantage from the activities of the intern. And in some occasions, Mm -hmm. its operations may actually be impeded. Number five, there's no guarantee of a job at the end of the internship. And number six, both Mm -hmm. parties understand and knowingly perceive that this is an unpaid situation. I found those very interesting because I paid close attention to that when designing our internship programs. Have you seen unpaid internships work or be of benefit to folks when they're designed that way? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, let's just be real, right? Not everyone is going to have the resources to pay interns, particularly in the nonprofit sector at this day and age, right? Um, And I do think there are times when having interns who are not paid makes total sense. It is an educational benefit to the young person that you're working with, particularly if they're coming in for a short period of time, right? And they're gaining valuable skills um, and maybe going back to school. I think, you know, for instance, we have, you know, have some summer interns. They're also in an educational program that they're here. So they're interning with us. They're getting education, you know, simultaneously. That's of real benefit to them. I think there are times when it it makes a lot of sense. Those longer term internships, I think, you know, we really need to start thinking about on that, you know, how are they being compensated if that work kind of evolves into more than an educational experience? Yes, I agree completely. I, in fact, don't have any interns right now because I don't have the capacity to have a program that is designed for the intern's benefit first. And that's the thing. From an employer standpoint, having interns is a costly measure when you're designing an unpaid internship program that really does focus on training first, which Mm -hmm. isn't super long-term. I hate the idea of like a perma-internship. That's crazy to me. You know, you've got to have clear (laughs) beginnings and ends and what kind of training are you going to benefit from? And that's how we've designed our internships here, because I haven't been in the position to really pay interns in the past. And if I do have the kind of budget, I'm just going to hire somebody, (laughs) whether they're in college or not. You know, however, their experience level, if they're the right candidate for what I'm looking for, I would rather hire someone Mm -hmm. than have an unpaid intern who in many ways can be a drag on operations because if you're doing unpaid internships right, you're putting their training first. And Mm -hmm. that's something we were very intentional about at Bossed Up, but it's not easy. And I just want to make it clear that unpaid internships aren't great in how they're utilized, especially at Fortune 500 companies that have the budget. But in nonprofits, in political campaigns, in advocacy organizations that don't have the budget, it can actually be a beneficial educational experience for a lot of folks who are navigating a career change or looking to pad their resume before entering Mm -hmm. the workforce. So I I hate the blanket shame that we throw on unpaid internships because it matters. The devil's in the details on these things. 
100% agree. You know, we do certainly with our summer interns do a tremendous amount to, you know, prepare them, right, to make sure that they we know what their educational goals are ahead of time um, to, you know, really teach them some systems that they're going to use in the future. So I think it, it really does depend on, you know, the situation and the details and the time frame. And, and as you said, the budget that the organization is looking at, you know, can is this organization really, you know, using this appropriately? So all things that are right. really important to, to think about. So tell us more about how you're advocating on a grand scale, like some of the programs that you're currently working on to make sure that whether it's in the nonprofit sector, the business sector, or that in between social impact sector, that we're making sure that doing well and doing good isn't this binary choice we have to make. Yeah, I mean, I think what we are doing on a national scale is showing that it's possible and that it works. So our Social Impact 360s alumni, you know, we've been in operation since 2012. So we have a thousand alumni who have actually created businesses that are financially sustainable that work to solve social issues. We have alumni working on mental health, working on transportation, working on energy. Um, I even have an alum that's working on technology that will help the visually impaired be able to code and be able to get jobs as computer programmers. So the idea that you can't create business structures or you can't create revenue streams for meaningful work is is not true because we have seen that it is and we have watched young people create these over the last several years. And so now what we're doing on a much larger scale, which I am very excited about, is we are transforming, you know, this large alumni core that we have into what I'm calling the first service core for business for good. And so it's an all youth network um, who really cares about, as you said, doing well and doing good and really showing folks that that's possible. And what they're going to be doing is actually connecting employees and companies to our alumni so they can create service projects in the business sector. So they can actually help businesses move to become more socially responsible. Um, so it's it's a tremendous effort uh, on the part of the next generation to really rethink, you know, how we're doing this work and, you know, hopefully how we're paying folks in the future. But it's also a lot of talking about it, right, and really advocating for folks right. to think differently in the nonprofit sector about, you know, how are you operating, Right. What revenue streams do you have? Can you create them? Because the truth of the matter is, you know, right now, resources are hard to come by for this work. And we need to be really smart about how we work in the sector with the resources that we have. I love that. I feel like anytime I get a little depressed or bummed out about (laughs) the status quo or like the politics (laughs) of the day, which is pretty regular. I mean, I would be numb if I didn't get horrified and enraged on occasion watching the news these days. I always look at the next generation that's coming up, right? The folks who are organizing and these students who are such prominent advocates and activists and how activism is so cool right now. And I (laughs) love, I just love the mainstreaming of activism in this particular way, because the youth, uh, I can say that now because I'm 30, right? The youth are, (laughs) are, are giving me so much hope and leave me feeling positive about the future because initiatives like this are happening and, and pushing back on the, You know, you can only have it this way or that way conversation and saying, actually, let's come up with a third alternative. Let's make it both work. I love that. 
Yeah, I'm in constant amazement of the the things that young people are doing and, and they're bootstrapping the resources to do it. So it's a really remarkable thing to watch. Um, and, and you see the outcomes, too. So you know, it's not a experiment that hasn't, you know, produced a, a reality that we know yeah. that it works. And it's really moving folks towards that, right? It's saying, okay, nonprofit sector, look at what we're, a- we're able to do. We can transform. Right. Nonprofit sector, we can do this. And really bringing people on to join that, you know, movement, if you will, to move towards that um, and make sure that we're not staying complacent. So for folks listening who are thinking, okay, sign me up, right? I'm ready for a career <laughs> in social impact. I'm lacking right. that sense of purpose, you know, driven work in my corporate day job. Or even the folks who are saying, I've got all the purpose driven work I can handle, but no paycheck, you know? Right. How would you acknowledge or, or advise those folks when it comes to getting into this sector and really finding employment through it? You know, it's I hear that a lot. <laughs> we have a lot of folks coming to us asking how do they get in the social impact sector. You know, a lot of that today is happening, uh, frankly, well, either in social impact focused nonprofit work or through corporate, more corporate social responsibility work. Right now, small sector, right? Um, Right. uh, Hard to get into, you know, lots of years of experience moving up and working in, you know, hybrid organizations that are working on for-profit and nonprofit work. You know, at least our organization is trying to offer folks is, you know, we offer the professionals class so that we can help train nonprofit professionals and how to really transform and think about their organizations and revenue streams to help them move towards that model. So there is, you know, hope for that. And to do that, we also, as I mentioned, are building the service core. And I think what's so important about that is that we will be connecting to actual employees and companies and saying, listen, we can incorporate this into your current work. This doesn't have to be an and or if, you know, type of situation and let us help you by bringing in the capacity and the knowledge to do that. And I'm so excited about working with employees and companies who are excited about that because I I know on a, you know, I hear from them on a daily basis that that's what they want. It's interesting, right? Because there's a dual need for more entrepreneurship in the social impact space to meet the demands of people who would work for those companies. And, you know, a more awareness of social impact revenue models or hybrid models in the corporate sector, because you're right, like the demand from an employee perspective is so there, it probably makes getting into this field very competitive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We must get, you know, 10 calls a week, you know, from folks who are in in the sector who come back and say, you know, we love and miss, you know, being involved in social impact work and really want to do it, but, you know, don't know how do I need to leave the sector in order to do that? Do I go back into nonprofit work? I think there's so many people who, you know, would really benefit from that. And so, you know, on our part, we're trying to make opportunities for this to happen. I love it. And so what I really love most here is as a final takeaway for this month's focus on crafting a cause oriented career or an impact and purpose driven career is that there's a lot of ways to do that. And it's not either sell your soul to the evil corporations (laughs) or, you know, martyr yourself and your financial stability to be of service to others in the nonprofit sector. There are many shades of gray in between. And the social impact space is certainly a burgeoning part of that hybrid that combines the both of them. So for folks out there to check out Social Impact 360, obviously they've sponsored quite a few podcasts for us this month, which we're very grateful for. And you can check out their 
course that we're talking about on those ads that helps provides business acumen for the nonprofit sector to learn more, they can go to where? Socialimpact360.org slash class, I believe. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to check out the class and, you know, we train groups, um, we're also going to have online content soon, you know, really thinking about what the nonprofit sector needs and also doing it, as we've been talking about, in an affordable way for them to take advantage of. So we can pay more interns. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. I love my interns. I would love to be able to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Allison. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hi, Emily and bosses. This is Marie Calling, and I have had quite the year of boss moves. I'm a resident in a rural community in the Midwest here, and I just went through a lot of turmoil within our residency. And if it wasn't for you guys and the Courage community and the Boss Up podcast, and actually the Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast, I feel like I wouldn't have been able to maneuver so eloquently through all of these moves. But I ended up dealing with this year a sexual harassment case at work and then also being involved with the firing and letting go of both of my attending, and then also being instrumental in replacing them with people who would actually be able to appropriately address and teach the rest of my cohort. So I just wanted to say thank you for all the courage and the support from behind the scenes for my boss up move. Marie, thank you so much for calling in and sharing. Sometimes our boss moves are less about, you know, jumping up and down over a raise and more about the relief and sense of satisfaction and hopefully closure that can come with standing up for yourself when you have been wronged. So thank you for calling in with this specific kind of boss move because we really haven't heard this on the podcast before. And it's so important to shine a light on how you have taken your power into your own hands and seen it through to having a reckoning, right? To being part of this great reckoning moment that we are in. I'm sorry that you face sexual harassment. No one should have to deal with that at work. Unfortunately, so many women in particular and marginalized people across the gender spectrum do experience this kind of BS and it never resolves itself. This is something like pushing a boulder up a hill that we have to take an active role, an active and and exhausting and laborious role in standing up for what's right, standing up for ourselves, and standing up for change and holding the world to a higher standard than it's traditionally had for how it treats women. So Marie, you should be so proud of yourself. I am so proud of you. And I encourage everyone out there who's silently dealing with something like this to be a part of our community, to talk about it, going through something that makes you feel victimized, right? Being victimized is such a shame-inducing and isolating experience. But we have to remember that speaking our truth in a safe space can reduce some of the power that being victimized takes away from us. It, it reduces that that feeling of powerlessness. So I'm so glad you found support and guidance through Bossed Up. We've got tons of webinars about how to deal with this stuff on YouTube, you know, we've addressed these issues on the podcast in the past with therapist Lena 
Dr. Holly on episode 20 about surviving a toxic workplace. And I'm just so glad to hear that the Bossed Up Courage community has been of support to you while navigating these boss moves. I'm so proud of you. And you don't know who you're inspiring right now by calling in and sharing this story. So keep bossing. And now it's time to put that BS behind you, by the way. And now you can start feeling not so much on the defense, but more proactive about, all right, what is the life I want to live now that I've dealt with these speed bumps along the way? And I'm sending you all the courage through the mic right now to keep bossing in pursuit of what it is that you really want because you've slayed some haters and now it's time to take your life and career to that next level. I'm so proud of you. If you've got a boss move to share, I want to hear about it, especially if it relates to standing up for yourself in big ways and in small. Those moments are so inspiring, and it's a huge part of being the boss of your career in life. So give my hotline a ring, girl. Leave me a voicemail at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And as always, we've got that phone number in the show notes where you can find it for reference later. And just a heads up, your voicemail does not have to be perfect. You can say um and errs and likes and you know, you can take it again from the top. You can call multiple times. We'll make sure you sound great at the podcast. Not to worry. No voicemail jitters necessary. Also, if you've got a question you want us to handle next, a career conundrum you're facing that you want some expert guidance on, give us a call 910-668-BOSS or 2677. That's all we got for y'all today. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, let's continue to pursue our careers with purpose and lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.